just kind of just aware that a couple of times that's up on my eye, and uh, maybe an eyelash or something, but just really moving and really powerful film. And it surprised me because I wasn't expecting it to be as good as it was, and I came around raving about it. Similarly, other film I know some people have been to see is The Greatest Showman, and I've heard a few people raving about it. I'm not seeing it myself, we're just really enjoying it. And we love a good story, don't we? We, we just get captivated into the storytelling. And the, well, I think the story we're looking at today is, is one of the greatest stories of all time. It's a story that ends up in pop culture, in, in art, in, in literature, in, in sculpture. And it's the story of, not Dolce & Gabbana, it's the story of David and Goliath. This is an amazing story. It's one I've rarely preached on because I'm aware that so many people... So many people have preached on this in the past, so it's one I've uh, tended not to speak on so much. But um, I just want to recap through this story. And uh, I want to just take you through it, because there's, there's quite a lot of text, so we can't really read it all. I didn't time it, but probably to the seven or eight minutes just to read. So I'm going to talk through some of the story. And, uh, and forgive me if you're really familiar with this, but I think I'll pick up bits that you, you may have forgotten. And if you've never heard this story, you'll get enough of a sense of what's going on to, uh, to understand what's taking place. And this is a story which is uh, in 1 Samuel 17 in the Bible, if you want to follow along. And it's a story of a fight, a battle that's going to take place. And the people of God, the Israelites, have taken over the promised land. They're, they've moved into the land that God promised to give them. And all around them are nations who are set on their destruction. They, they uh, from time to time, run into battles. And this is one of those moments where... A group of people called the Philistines have come against the people of God, the Israelites. And the Philistines have got their guys ready for war. They've, they've come. They've chosen a location. They've amassed the army. They've prepared everything. And they've built up towards war. And all this is in 1 Samuel 17. And as they've done so, the new king, newish king of Israel, Saul, has also prepared his army. And they've camped facing the Philistines. And so you have this situation with a valley in between, where we've got the Philistines on one side and Saul and the Israelites on the other side of this valley. You can picture the scene, can't you? The filmmakers would have uh, a, a dream with this story, and the way it's told, and the way it cuts from one scene to another. But this is the, the story. They're facing off against each other in a valley called Elah. And I imagine them there sizing each other up, measuring each other. Keeping, you know, as, as one side looking to the other, the Israelites are there thinking, who are these guys who come against us? And they're probably just thinking, well, yeah, I think, what would it be like? You know, you're, you're normally a farmer, but suddenly you've been roped into this army. And you, you might be a bit, a bit scared, but you kind of be sitting there thinking, well, I could probably have him on a good day. Uh, and maybe him. I'm a bit worried about that one over there. You can have him. Um, but they're probably sizing each other up and getting the good measure of, of what it's going to be like when they go into battle in the future. Then, verse 4 of this story says this, Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. So you're a farmer, you've been drafted into the army, you're there, uh, you're not quite sure what's happening, maybe your first battle, but, but there you go, and you're ready. And this big guy comes out. Well, this would be interesting, let's hear what he's got to say. And it says here, he was over nine feet tall. And uh, interestingly, some... Some graves have been uncovered, apparently, with, with some pretty large people from that area. Uh, some female skeletons of seven feet plus have been fairly recently uncovered. And uh, there's, there's a guy called, was it Robert Wadlow 
something like that that was in the Guinness Book of Records, nearly nine foot tall. So it's not unknown for people to be very tall uh, in history. But this guy is nine feet tall. He wears a bronze helmet, a bronze coat of mail, weighing 125 pounds. He wears a bronze leg up with bronze leg armor, and he carries a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer, I love this bit, his armor bearer walked in front of him carrying a shield. How, how many of you would love to be Goliath's armor bearer? I'm five foot nine on a good day, and five foot ten if I've got the shoes on. But um, what would Goliath's shield be like? I'm not the most well built of fellas, but you can imagine just sort of carrying this thing along, can't you? I'll be with you in a minute. You know, it's Goliath, boom, 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 into, into space, the Israelites. And, and you get the situation where they're, they're sizing off and this one guy comes out to speak. And this is his message. He says, why, why are you all coming out to fight? I'm the Philistine champion. But you're only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we'll be your slaves. But if I kill him, then you'll be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. And then you see the response. I've got one verse for you. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. What's your response be in that moment? You sized up your likely opponent and suddenly Goliath appears. You weren't expecting it, you weren't ready for it. And here he is with a logical proposition, which on the face of it makes a great deal of sense. Logically. One person fights another person, mano a mano. And the battle's won or lost, and it's all, it's all over and everyone else can go home, or into slavery, one or the other. And it seems okay until you size this guy up and you just look at your odds and you go, this is not going to go well for any of us at this point. The scene at that point changes, and the, the Bible it just records it so wonderfully. It is like a film playing out in front of you, and, and the scene switches to another scene, and we, we get David at this point, the guy we've been talking about, the guy who our series is about, David, the chosen one, David, the future king of Israel, who's already been anointed, who's back with the sheep. And he's looking after the sheep for his dad and his eight brothers, and three of them have gone away, already to fight, and, and David's there, the youngest son, and others have, we don't know where the other ones are, but three are in the battle, and, and David's there, and, and, and his dad is just having David looking after the sheep. And then the scene cuts back again to Goliath, and it says that every day, we're back to the army scene, it says for 40 days, every morning and every evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. We're getting out onto the practical application of this in in a few minutes, but I want to talk about looking beyond the problems that you face. Looking beyond, and there are problems that you're facing that are strutting right now. And morning and evening, you're facing things, some people are facing things that it struts in front of you. With a defiant roar, with logic, and with, with strength, and with all sorts of arguments, and you look and you go, oh, oh. And the scene cuts back again, and we're back to Jesse with David. And Jesse, that's David's dad, says, take some sandwiches to your brothers. Loaves of bread, basket of grain, carry them quickly and take ten cuts of cheese to the captain and see how our brothers, your brothers are getting along and bring a report back. And so David's sent to go to the battle line. From his home, he goes and he's 
He's there to take food. He's a glorified Domino's delivery guy. Uh, as there he goes into the battle, delivery, here we go, drops off the cheese with the commander. Uh, and, and just as he arrives, we read something interesting that's happening in this place. We've got Goliath coming and strutting his stuff. And then we get this thing. He arrives at the camp, verse 20, just as the Israelite army were leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. So he's got there. Now, what this means is that the, the two armies are camped, but then they're leaving their camps every morning to go and stand on the battle lines. And then they're going from the battle lines back to their camps every evening. And so David arrives in the morning, just as the Israelites have got together and they've gone, rah, 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 let's go. And they go with cries out to the battle. And they stand there. And then Goliath says, I defy you. Come and fight me. And they'll go, ah, off again. So we've got this scene as David arrives, just this kind of manly moment where they've all slapped each other on the back. And maybe if they were from New Zealand, they'd have done that haka or whatever it is before, before the fight. And in they go. And you face times, and I face times, where we've tried to cheer ourselves up, and we've tried in the face of problems to get a group of people together and go, Rawr, come on, and then the problem emerges again, and you go, oh, off. And that's the situation that David faces as he arrives. And David does something quite interesting. He goes into this situation, and he, he asks a question. As the men are saying, have you seen the giant? He comes out every day to defy Israel. The king's offered a huge reward, and David hears this, and he says, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God? The men give him an answer. His brothers have a go at him. He goes off to see the king. He gets summoned to see Saul the king. And in front of Saul the king, he says, don't be afraid anymore. I'm going to fight Goliath. That's great, isn't it? That you love the, the nature of uh, David's audacity. Don't be afraid. I'm going to fight Goliath. And Saul says, don't be ridiculous. There's no way you can win. They have a conversation. Uh, David recounts some things that he's seen God do in the past. And Saul finally says, okay, go on then. They have a conversation about armor. And then David eventually goes out to fight Goliath on behalf of the whole of Israel. That's a huge amount riding on this. If he loses, the Israelites become slaves of the Philistines. This is huge. And he's there as this, this kid, this, this guy who's kind of bullshit and confident, but, but not in himself, in God, as we'll see in a minute. And you know the story. They, have, they face off together, and, and Goliath has a go at David because he's come out with a sling and some stones, and, uh, and Goliath's there with all his equipment and all his gear and his armor-bearer. And he says, how dare you? How dare you defy me? Who do you think you are? And David, the Bible says, says as Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. Imagine the film as it's unfolding. You've gone from scene to scene to scene to scene back to this moment. And Goliath's defiant and, and moving in for the kill. What does David do? He runs. Everybody else has been running away from Goliath. David runs towards him with a sling and a stone. And you know the story, he, he slings the stone and it hits Goliath in the forehead and he falls to the ground. David runs, pulls out Goliath's sword and chops off his head. May have just stunned him, may have knocked him unconscious. We don't know what happened, but he chopped off his head kind of to make fairly sure that he's not coming back again. 
It's usually a good way of making sure, apparently. And then, despite the conversation that went on, despite the proposal that if one side won, the others would, wouldn't have to fight, and they'd just serve as slaves, everybody then had a big fight. Anyway, despite the logic of the proposal, they all get into a scrap, and they're on a big fight anyway, and the Israelites have won on that day. I want us to see a few things about this situation. Because oh, I want to talk about today looking beyond the obvious. That's what the looking beyond at the bottom is. Looking beyond the obvious. How do we look beyond the obvious? When there's such obvious situations in front of us, what is it we need to do to look beyond them? I suppose we need to start by saying, what do you see? What do you see as I've unfolded that story? What do you see in your mind's eye? Well, you've got the armies. You've got Goliath. You've got the obvious situations that are there. Uh, but we at times get problems in our lives too and we get struggles and we come up against things and I just want to say this problem for the Israelites wasn't a problem of their own making. This wasn't one they decided to get into. The Philistines had come ready for a fight. And it may be that in our situations that we face from time to time, you're in a problem and the obvious thing is that it's not your fault. It wasn't your fight. You didn't want it. You didn't expect it. You don't feel you deserved it. You certainly didn't start it. But you're in a situation you didn't want to be in. Secondly, it might be that you see a problem that's the same as one you've had before. The Israelites have a bit of a problem with giants, tall people. This guy is from a town called Gath. Goliath, verse 4, a Philistine champion from Gath. Many will remember a time when the people of Israel were going into the land that God had promised them. And Moses sent spies into the land to go and spy out the land. Two came back and said, we can do it. It's going to be good. Ten came back and said, no, there's giants in the land. Descendants of the Nephilim, people of Gath and Gaza. These great guys who were enormous and scary and big, and they said, we cannot defeat these people. And so for 40 years, Israel wandered around the wilderness. Why? Because 10 people came back with a report saying there's big people there, there's big problems, we can't get over this. And so the Israelites find themselves in a situation that's not of their making, it's not of their design, it wasn't one they wanted, but it's something that they've come up against before, and it's a persistent problem. And some of us face persistent problems. It's situations that you come round to and you think, I didn't want to be here, but I'm back here again. And in fact, my parents were here. They suffered the same thing, or another generation suffered it. Do you know what I mean? There's a persistent problem. You see generational things running through families, and people come up against things again and again and again. Thirdly, we see that this is an impossible problem. Yeah, it's logical and all that, but there's just no way. There's no way on earth one person can fight Goliath. He's too big. He's too strong. His armor's too thick. It's impenetrable. You just can't. There's no way. And some of us face problems which are impossible. No obvious solution. It's bigger than you. Maybe it's not even your problem. It's a problem for someone else that they're dealing with and you're trying to carry it for them and help them with it. Maybe it's a societal problem that, that you want to tackle, that God's stirring you for, for releasing people from slavery or addiction or poverty or whatever it might be. And you think, this is too big. It's too big. I'm so little. I can't tackle this. Maybe God's got an area of the town or a people group on your heart. And you're saying, how can I begin to deal with these issues? Because I'm so small and my resources are so minuscule and the problem keeps coming back 
and again and again and again. And everyone I talk to tells me, oh, it'll always be like that. But within you, there's a, conf- there's a, there's a, a passion to see some change. Begin you that, within you, there's a fire that says, this, it shouldn't be this way. I'm not, not prepared to just quieten down and be quiet and say, it always has to be the same. Because maybe, just maybe, this is the generation where God wants to bring breakthrough. And there's a fire that's burning in you that says, not on my watch. I know it's impossible. I know we've been here before. But this is a day of breakthrough. Israel find themselves, obviously, in a place where they are completely stuck. They're desperate. Saul the king who after all should be the one in the battle, probably. He, he's been described, if you remember from a couple of weeks ago, in the Bible as being head and shoulders above everybody else in Israel. He's the most likely candidate. If Goliath's nine foot tall, Saul's the most likely of all the Israelites to be in the fight. Because he's the Israelites' tallest. Lots more than Goliath, but he's still bigger than the others. He should be there, but we find Saul at this point. Offering a reward of his own daughter in marriage. That's the place he's got to where he's saying, well, anybody, please. I probably should be me. I should be the one because I was the anointed king. I should be leading into battle, but have, have my daughter. Have a load of money and have freedom from taxes for all of your family forever. Now that's the point. I imagine some aged parents getting hold of their kids going, go on, have a go. We loved you lots, you've been a good son, but have a go. Freedom from taxes forever for the whole of your family, that'd be awesome. Here's a battle. And no one is, they're running away. So how do we see things differently? Because David arrives in this situation, and he asks a question, and he speaks differently, and he acts differently, and, and he's looking beyond the obvious. And I believe God wants to give us some keys on how we look beyond the obvious in our situations in our lives today. So I should have shown that slide earlier, to apologise. So that's why the Israelites were. What do you see? They're, they're seeing the problems. They're running away in fright and asking, have you seen the giant? How do we look beyond? The text on the left of the screen is the initial bit that David says when he arrives. And I've got a few points on the right I'm going to run through uh, quickly. Firstly, remember God. Verse 26 is on the left of your screen, which ends with this. David saying, how can Palestine, that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God? We're 26 verses into a Bible story. This is the first time God gets mentioned. Verse 26. There's been conversation and dialogue and description. The Israelites have been talking They've been discussing what's going on. They've gone into their camp. They've woken up in the morning. They've gone, let's do this. They've gone into battle. Nobody has mentioned God up to this point. David walks in and says, how come this guy is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? Remember God. There are times when we walk into situations, historical problems, big problems, all sorts of problems, when our problem's obvious and in front of us and everybody else might be scared along with us and we forget God. Because the pressing situation is so big and it seems so impossible to eradicate that we forget the, the one that we're serving. We forget to talk about God. We forget to worship God. We forget to see Him. Because our problem becomes so big that we've lost sight of Him. What do you see today? 
What are you seeing? What are you hearing? If it's just the problem, then today remember God. Secondly, remember whose you are. David says this. Look at this, this bit at the end. Who's this Philistine anyway that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God? I love that. Because Goliath has come out and said to them, I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. I defy the armies of Israel. Goliath is playing on the fact that Israel have just appointed a king, and they are serving their king. He's playing on that with them. He's very clever. He's looking at their political situation, their, their monarchy that they've just instituted, and he's saying, well, you, you just serve your king, don't you? We Philistines, we don't. I'm the champion. This fighting, warring race who fight battles and fight against each other and have a champion. Well, here he is. And he's playing with them. But he calls them the armies of Israel. David calls them the armies of the living God. We often can forget whose we are. See, our faith isn't determined by the size of the problem, but by the clarity of our focus. What's yours? What's your focus? Is it, is it on the problem or is it on God? Is it on who God says we are and who he is? Because if it is, then we stand a great chance. Third, we see beyond the problem. The first bit we see at the beginning of this is David asking the soldiers, and by what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? I'll just prophesy to you today. There is a future beyond your problem. Whatever the problem is that you're facing, whatever the problem is that you're fighting against, on, on your behalf or somebody else's behalf, there is a future beyond your problem. No one else can see it. But David can. The others are talking about, oh, Saul's offered a reward, but no one's trying to claim it. David walks in and he tries to claim it because he can see that there's something beyond the current situation when nobody else can. All everybody else can see is a nine-foot problem sitting in front of them. Next, choose your influences. Choose your influences really careful. I, I've, I've mimicked and mocked the, the people of Israel as they're running around. I don't think I would have been doing anything much different, if I'm honest. Um, I don't think I would have been the one on the front line. I probably would have been one of the soldiers going, ah, 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 too. Because I would have been in the crowd. And when you're in a crowd of people going, ah, or ah, you act along with the crowd. You're persuaded to be part of the crowd. You're convinced by the, the actions of the crowd. You, the, the movement of the crowd, the mood of the crowd sways you. And it takes someone of great courage to stand in the middle of a crowd and say, not on my watch. Not today. And the reason David can is because he comes in from the fields. He comes in from looking after the sheep and he walks into a battlefield that isn't his. He, looks, he, he leaves the sheep with somebody else and he walks in. And he comes from a place of being with God, having responsibility, looking after the sheep, and he arrives from a distant place without the influence of the crowd. Just an encouragement. Choose your influences carefully. Because it's easier to fight a problem when you've not been living amongst those who've got used to running away. When you get used to a certain culture, a certain mindset of, well, it's always been this way, and this is how we have to respond, it's very difficult to stand against that. Get alongside people who have faith. Be with them. Fifthly, these, these are going to be snappy. Develop your faith in private. Uh, when David gets in front of Saul, 
He says this to him when Saul said, don't be ridiculous, there's no way you can fight this guy. David says this, I've been able to take care of my father's sheep and goats. When a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club. Quite graphic, isn't it? And rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw. I put this on the screen, did I? And club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears. And I'll do it to, the pagan, to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord, listen to this, the Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul says, right, go ahead. We need to develop our faith in private. David has been fighting battles in private, and, and, and it's very difficult to make your first battle a public one in front of everybody else. Your first victory a public one. It tends to happen that our victories are private. And so those things that you're working through privately, that you think nobody else sees, no one else knows, it doesn't really matter if I win or lose. Yes, it does. Because our, the way we respond to our private battles will determine how we get to respond to the public ones. So if you're in a private battle that no one else sees, that you think you're getting away with, or you think, it's okay, it doesn't matter, I can, I, I can kind of play around with this, don't. Listen, please. How we develop our faith in private affects how we live it out in public. Next, David is stood in front of Saul and he's recounting his stories. Each one of you has a story. Each one of us has a story of God at work in our lives. Uh, we've got a baptism coming up next week and we, we love hearing people's stories and testimonies and uh, we've had a course called Getting Connected we've run for many years and people come and they, they uh, tell their story about becoming a Christian and they learn more about the church and we, we love listening to stories but there's something that happens when you've got a story is that sometimes you can compare it to other people's stories you go, you know what, my story just isn't as exciting as theirs and I remember talking to a guy who was probably, I mean, must have been 20 or 30 years older than me, and his story was one of dramatic transformation, of God having got hold of his life after a world of pain, and drug addiction, and all sorts of things, and we were a group of young people, and, and talking about our stories of, of having comparatively safe lives, and coming to believe in Jesus in a comparatively safe way, and feeling somehow aggrieved that our story wasn't as sexy, or exciting as his. And some of you will identify with this. And this guy with broken heart said, never, never feel like that about your story. Never deny the wonder of what God has done, that he protected you from a life like mine. Don't ever minimize your story. And each of us have got stories, and they might be of tiny victories. When, you, when you're facing a massive problem, the story might be of a tiny victory because David is facing a Goliath at this point. A Goliath who, if he loses, the whole of the nation could be enslaved. This is a massive problem. And he's got a little story, seemingly, in comparison. Because his story might appear oppressive to us. It's a lion or a bear. It's still pretty scary, but it's tiny because it's him and some sheep. And now it's the whole nation, but David takes his story and he lifts it out and he says, I remember what God has done for me. And you're not going to take this away from me, but God did this for me and he can do it again. And I want to encourage you today to remember the stories that God has given. They're given for a purpose. And when you're up against a problem, to dig back down, remind yourself 
remind ourselves of the moments God came through, of every answered prayer, of every response God has given, because there's times when you're going to need them. There's times when facing difficulties that you struggle to see beyond, you need to remember what God has done. When he declares his faith. When everyone else is declaring their doubts, he declares that he declares his faith. Finally, I'll say this, the taunts that you're facing aren't new. When Goliath stands out in front of Israel and taunts them with defiance, why are you coming out to fight? When David comes out in front of him and Goliath again taunts him and says, who are are you? Who do you think you are? You're just a boy. Am I a dog? That you come at me with a stick and he curses David in the name of his gods. When when you're up against the problem and all that's filling your mind is the curses, all that's filling your mind is the taunts, remember they're not new. You're not the only one who's faced them. They go back a very, very long way. With questions. Did God really say? Did, Did God really say? Not to eat the fruit. Actually, is that really what God said? Or to Jesus, if you are the Son of Man. And it's the devil both times, but those taunts go back a long way. They've got a long history. And it's not a positive one. I did say finally, which is a preacher's habit, I did remember I've got one more slide with one point on it. And it's a really important one. You'll like this one. When God is silent, If I were to ask, how many, we've got a trip to Albania coming. In the summer, I think Rosemary's taking a trip to Albania, we've got other mission trips we're hoping to do soon. If I said to you, how, how many of you would go if God told you to? How many of you would go on a trip like that? God, God said go. Okay. Difficult question, isn't it? Because if, if he says go and you're refusing, then you can't really put the answer in, oh, I wouldn't. So, but I get that. There is no point in this story, at any point, when God tells David to face Goliath. There is not a single moment where David has a revelation or a dream or a prophetic word or a word of knowledge or someone speaking into his life or or, or anything. There is nothing, nada, never, where God tells David to go and fight Goliath. Nothing. And some of us are waiting for God to tell us things to do and he's not going to speak. He's not going to speak. Why? Because he's given us. The Holy Spirit, he's given us responsibility. He's given us an overarching command and said, go! Live it out. I've anointed you. And all David had was an anointing. The same anointing that we have. Not for kingship, but for, for being marked out as one of his. That's all David had. God does not speak to him. And I, I wait so often. You know, I get a, an opportunity and I'll pray. And I'll be, God, is this you? Is it you, Lord, that, that wants me to fulfill this, this opportunity? Is it you? And I think sometimes God just wants us to have a go. To put ourselves in the place of vulnerability and, and say, God, I'm going to stand up. Because nobody else is. I'm going to step up and say, God, you've got to help me. Because without you, I'm lost. But I'm trusting that you're with me anyway. Okay, it's prophetic, this stuff that, that you could do. 
that I could be doing that God isn't going to speak about. And my encouragement to us as I close is that when God is silent, trust him. When he's saying nothing, when there's no activity on his part whatsoever, and there isn't mention of it through this chapter at all, other than by confession of David's mouth, then trust him. Keep confessing. Keep looking beyond. Keep seeing beyond the obvious that there is one who is fighting your battles. There is the Lord of heaven's armies who's on your side. We're not on our own. We will not be defeated. Why? Because we serve one who is almighty. We're reading through the New Living translation. I'm really enjoying it. I uh, have this last uh, Kittle version last year and hard copy this year and just really enjoying it. But I noticed that where my previous version was talking about Lord Almighty, uh, the New Living translates it Lord of Heaven's armies. And I love that. That sense that God is the commander of the armies. And they're on our side. And they're fighting our battles. But we need to stand too. I wonder if you'd stand with me please and I'll pray. Because I want us to pray in the midst of all the things that we're facing. And there will be some. The doctor will have given a prognosis and you don't like the sound of it and you don't know what it means long term but what if they said wasn't good your family or the family of those that you care for is carrying pain and you don't like it and there's no way out depression has stalked your history or your family's history you don't like it but it seems like there's no way out whatever it may be it might be Injustice issues, it might be all sorts of things, but we can stand. We're saying, God, we recognize today that you're feeling. Would you pray with me? Father, in those situations where we've come up against Goliaths, and we've come up against problems, we declare today that you are bigger, that you are greater. And we ask for your forgiveness for the times when we've taken our eyes off you, when we've looked into ourselves and we've looked around us and no one has courage, and so we've decided that actually the battle is not worth fighting. Would you forgive us, Lord, for that? And I pray, God, that you bring courage into our hearts today. Courage to trust you. Courage to look beyond the obvious. Courage to look beyond the problem. And to see you again. And Lord, today we choose to declare that you are faithful. And you are great. And you are on our side. We choose to declare today again, Lord, that you are King and God and the Lord of Heaven's armies. God, I pray that you'd remind us and help us remember the times you've answered prayer in the past. That you'd help us recount the stories of what you have done. That we might no longer stand in the face of impossible situations without a word of response. But instead, God, that we would point to you and say there is a way because there is one who made a way. And his name is Jesus. Lord, give us courage today. I pray that from this room there would be people rising up to fight and to declare again with confidence today, not in themselves, because you are the one who comes through for us. But may we see battles won and injustice fought and darkness overcome with light and sin overcome with holiness with law overcome with grace, with, with slavery overcome with liberty. 
God, bring us into a place of freedom and of boldness in your name. Jesus. Amen. We're going to receive the opening. So oh. 